This episode of Show Me the Meaning is brought to you by Movie, a curated online cinema streaming exceptional films from around the globe. This episode is also sponsored by Cover. Save time and money with Cover. Visit cover.com slash wisecrack to get started. Hey everyone, welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wisecrack's movie podcast. Show me the meaning! Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My name is Jared, I'm joined with a pretty different crew, but a full, vigorous group today. We got Austin. Hey, what's going on? And the only man who makes my voice sound high-pitched on the airwaves, Greg Edwards. Hey, what's going on? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, one of my favorite Matrix nerds, a writer and researcher... (laughs) For Wisecrack, Rebecca Sinclair. How you doing, Rebecca? I'm well, Jared. Good to be here. Yeah, great to have you guys. I'm so excited to be talking about uh, a movie that I cannot, I cannot overstate its importance in my life. Today we're talking about The Matrix, the 1999 film written and directed by the Wachowskis, starring Keanu Reeves, Lawrence Fishburne, and Carrie Ann Moss. As always, let's go around, get, I, I want to hear what it was like the first time you watched this movie and what it's like revisiting it. Let's start with Rebecca. Oh, geez. I, was, I thought I was for sure going to have a second to think about that. Um, so, yeah, first time it was um, it was pretty mind-blowing. I mean, I was r- quite young, um, but it was one of the first f- films I ever saw that, like, starred a super f- powerful female. And it was interesting as I rewatched it this time, I got the chills again when the film opens and, like, Trinity's just, like, kicking ass. Mm. Um it was super cool for me then. It was super cool for me now. And I have to say that it's it's one of the first moments I could like not stop talking about The Matrix. And I, I kind of got into science fiction vis-a-vis Matrix and films like it. And and that actually is kind of one of the things that put me into philosophy, which is my career, right? The um, thinking you know, about movies and with movies. I will say that now, after, especially after having worked with you and had like at least 12 hours of conversation on The Matrix, probably more. Um <laughs> I saw the the this Matrix movie um, as kind of mostly just set up for the second two. Mm. I so it's a kind of controversial position, I admit it. But I think that uh, since we dove into the complexities or you know philosophical clusterfucks or what what have you um, of the second and third films, I sort of was like, oh, maybe the Matrix is just kind of setting up the more interesting stuff that's happening in the second and third. So I might be, I might even be this this last time kind of changing my mind on my uh, my ranking for this, which is which is wow. big for me. So I just want to say, yeah, that is big. so. Know that going in. Okay. Okay, cool. <laughs> what about you, Greg? Oh, man. Uh, I was 19 when this movie came out. Uh, I remember seeing the previews for it. I took a girl to it. Uh, we went to the, for the midnight uh, movie showing when people weren't shooting up the movies. Uh, <laughs> and it was great, man. Uh, I remember that first scene when Trinity jumped up in the air and it paused. And it's like, you could just hear everybody's like legs clamped together in the movie theater. At the end of the movie, everybody stood up and gave it a standing ovation. In a movie theater in like Bubba Fuck, Virginia somewhere. You know what I mean? So it was great. I feel like it's groundbreaking. One of my top 10 movies that's not a porn if you don't have if you if you don't have a porn in your top 10 movies you're lying uh, <laughs> i just think it's a it's a great all-around movie uh it's too bad the other two sucked so bad but that's how oh good, my gosh i will fight you oh we can fight we can fight uh, but that's how good the movie is that the yeah. other two had to suck because this one was so groundbreaking and what was it like revisiting it this time uh it was great i mean man 
I'm like a, I'm a nerd. I'm well. I've watched The Matrix probably as many times as I've watched Forrest Gump, which is weird to mm-hmm. say. But I've probably watched The Matrix maybe seventy five times. This part one, um, so I know the movie very well. Uh, it, there are some things that I like caught again. It's always great watching. It always brings me back, and it always makes me question, like, are we really living in the Matrix? I do have those thoughts sometimes, like with the simulation and Elon Musk and Zero One. Everything's <laughs> a code. And, um, yeah, I do think that. But, uh, yeah, I love it. It's great. Uh, it makes me think, what if Will Smith actually got the role? Yeah. This shit would have yeah, sucked so yeah. bad. <laughs> it's so weird to think the original casting was Will Smith as Neo and Val Kilmer as Morpheus. It would have been awful. Yeah. It would have been awful. It certainly wouldn't be what it is today. All right, what about you, Austin? I mean, I, I have no clue about the first time that I saw this movie because kind of like I think both – well, I think like everyone on this podcast is going to say because I assume, Jared, you're going to say you've seen it a plethora of times too. Um, I've seen it so many times that I don't really remember, but I will say that it's been a long time since I've seen it. And um, it was actually really refreshing to see it again this time. And like both Greg and Rebecca, that opening scene with Trinity, it it actually like affected me this time. And which is why I think it was nice that it had been a while since I since I'd seen it before, because it actually affected me and it reminded me of how profound this movie actually was. I actually tweeted about it as soon as that movie happened. I was like, "Fuck, man!" Some people talk shit about the Matrix, especially in academic circles, even though like. I mean, I work more in like kind of like post-structuralist, post-phenomenological, quote-unquote post-modern, which is a terrible term. That's why I'm using these other terms. The post-modern circles, we'll say. So they love talking about Baudrillard and Simulacra and whether or not The Matrix got it right or wrong because Baudrillard famously said he hated the movie. Um, But nevertheless, I was like, man, even if you talk shit about this movie, you cannot deny that this movie did something. Like it opened up a space in cinema that hadn't been opened before. It was fucking profound, and I think I actually got to like revisit that profundity. It was it was really lovely to actually enjoy it, and I think the film's fucking awesome, man. It really is. It really is quite interesting. Awesome. So, like Greg, I've probably seen this movie seventy five times, maybe even more than that. Uh, I I can't overstate the importance of this movie in my life. I mean, I think I've told this story before. I I know that probably Rebecca's heard it. But just to reiterate, like this movie is the closest thing, and I know this is going to sound so hyperbolic and insane, but this is the closest thing to religion I ever had in high school. I was like <laughs> so obsessed. And to, to tell you guys just how obsessed I was, uh, I sent Chase, can you send them the image? I want to, I'm going to show Greg this image. We're going to do a little bit of react here. This is a picture of me when I was 14 years old. <laughs> A picture of me when I was 14 years old, yeah, like six hours <laughs> early in line waiting to see The Matrix Reloaded because awesome. I was so excited. This movie, when I was 12 years old and I saw it for the first time, I left the theater a different person. It blew my mind. Mm. It was the first time in my life I'd ever considered that things may not be how they seem. Mm. This is the reason why I became obsessed with cinema. Like the movie, you know, it's funny, we we released a video on uh, the philosophy of Alan Moore over the weekend, and we talk about how he talks about symbols and art as spellcraft, as how a movie or a piece of art can really just change your perspective. And that's what this movie did to me. This movie Mm. completely opened my mind. And, you know, the reason I studied cinema afterwards is because I wanted to find out how could something have such a profound effect on me? You know, like this media must be so powerful in order to literally change a person from one day to the next, which is what this movie did. And, you know, it's kind of interesting that later in my life, I end up kind of going back to philosophy a little bit. And, you know, and now most of what we do in Wisecrack is kind of the intersection of philosophy and uh, movies or media studies and stuff like that. So obviously, The Matrix is super duper important to me. 
it's yeah i cried watching it last night it was <laughs> awesome. it was awesome. it just it was just amazing what 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 bit what bit makes you what what bit gets you the most is it when he becomes the one no. i mean is it multiple it's times? actually mostly the first act uh, when yeah. when okay. when yeah. Neo is just kind of in his alienated life, and then Morpheus comes to him, and you know, I mean, also also like I watching it made me realize just you know having seen this movie fucking seventy five times makes me realize just how much of my uh, my like voiceover is based on the rhythm of Lawrence Fishburne and Hugo <laughs> Weaving. Like, you know, like I am, you know, it's just like little like I imagine that right yes. now you're feeling a bit like Alice. You know, it's so it's just <laughs> yeah, he's amazing. Both of them are so incredible. Um, this time watching it, it was a. I'm so glad I rewatched it. Part of me was thinking maybe I don't need to because I know the whole movie by heart. But um, and we'll talk about this a little bit more. But I found that I this movie I feel like is like if the '70s counterculture film was Easy Rider. I feel like this is the counterculture film for our generation. But the thing that's crazy about it is that I think it's the counterculture movie for both sides of the political spectrum, and uh, we mm. can get into that a little bit later. But first, we're going to go into a recap. So, alienated computer programmer Thomas Anderson, hacker alias Neo, can feel that there is something wrong with the world. So he's searching for a man named Morpheus who can give him the answer to the question that haunts him. All of us at the same time. What is the matrix? Okay, never mind. <laughs> All right. I'm in the room with them. Yeah. All right. Never mind. What is the matrix? One day at work, Morpheus calls Neo and attempts to help him escape the pursuit of three suited agents, led by the ever-so-stern Agent Smith. After being captured and intimidated by Smith and his cohorts, Neo meets up with Morpheus and his disciple Trinity. Morpheus offers Neo a choice, take the red pill and learn the truth, or take the blue pill and continue living life with his eyes wide shut. Oh, see what I did there? Uh, <laughs> Neo takes the red pill and awakens in a vat where humans are grown to generate electricity for their machine overlords. This is the real world. The world that Neo has known all of his life is just a computer-generated simulation created to enslave humanity. Morpheus explains that he and his crew of rebels are followers of a prophecy that foretells that Morpheus will find the One, who will destroy the Matrix and bring freedom to humanity. Morpheus believes that Neo is this savior. After Neo's training, Morpheus and crew take Neo inside the Matrix to see the Oracle, but Neo is too doubtful to believe that he is the One. On their way back, the crew is betrayed by Cypher, who sold Morpheus out to the agents, who proceed to torture him until they give, him access to, give them access to Zion, humanity's last refuge on Earth. Neo and Trinity gear up and save Morpheus, but right as Neo is about to escape with the rest of the team, Agent Smith destroys their exit and fights Neo mano e mano. Exhibiting, exhibiting greater powers than any human prior still isn't enough to best an agent, and Agent Smith eventually kills Neo. But in the real world, Trinity revives Neo with a kiss. Back in the Matrix, Neo realizes his potential as the one, easily bests Smith, and rejoins the crew in the real world. In the end, Neo warns those in power that things are different now, that people will be awakened, and that there's nothing they can do. Then he fucking flies. End of movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, so I'm a little torn as to how to uh, approach this because everybody knows that there's a lot of symbolism, a lot of Christianity imagery and stuff like that, but and a lot of literary allusions, a lot of stuff. But, I, I mean, I think we will get to that, but I don't want to emphasize that too much because... If, if you guys are looking for that, go to any of our videos we did in Earthling Cinema on this um, or Rebecca's film or Rebecca's 
uh, episode on the Matrix Revolutions kind of touches on this a little bit. I kind of feel like that stuff is widely chronicled, and we will get into it a little bit, but I just don't want anyone emailing me saying, you forgot to mention that Neo is an allegory for the story of Christ. I'm like, I mean, uh, yeah. Duh. I mean, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, we'll get to that. If you guys don't mind, I want to talk first about, I want to talk about this movie, its cultural relevance right now. This movie is almost 20 years old, and I think of it, when I watched it, this I really saw this movie as a piece of rebel art. Um, I'm curious what mm. you guys think about that, or do you want me to keep going? Well, you said earlier, you said both sides. It's hard for me to see it on both sides, though. Yeah, so, all right. So you know how, usually we don't talk about this stuff, but you know how, like, on the left side of the spectrum, we have, quote, like, woke politics, and yeah. on the right side of the spectrum, we have red pill. Mm -hmm. It's basically the same thing. You're okay. just You're basically just saying that you're disillusioning yourself from some oppressive structure that has enslaved your mind. So... It's funny how literally the word the red pill comes from the Matrix, and it's like this cultural icon that we use as a lens to understand this idea of awakening yourself to the truth. And so I just find it so interesting that both sides kind of co-opt the lesson of this movie to talk about their very different ideologies that are actually in polar opposition to each other. I think that's something that about this movie is so special in that regard. Well, if I can, I mean, I think maybe it's because it goes back even further than that. I mean, some, you know, obviously this film has direct allusions to Baudrillard's Simulacre and Simulation, right? But I think even more probably apt is its connection to Plato's Allegory of the Cave. Sure. And mm -hmm. Plato's Allegory of the Cave, while yes, uh, there are some debates among Platon or Plato scholars about whether or not Plato's Allegory of the Cave is about epistemology, whether or not... Um, uh, how do we know the world? How do we kind of comport and understand the world in which we live? Or is it about politics? And uh, that's an internal debate within Plato if people are interested in that, or in uh, Plato scholarship if people are interested. But but more importantly, the point is is that it's about uh, kind of awakening ourselves from the illusion that we, we live under in our normal, everyday lived experience. And that's something that can kind of be fit into any sort of um, political or social or religious ideology. I mean, even from a Christian perspective, right, you can say, ah, the scales fell off my eyes and now I see the truth. You know, uh, from a Buddhist perspective, you could kind of say something similar. So there seems to be some resonance with this sort of universal idea that that we're living under an illusion. For Buddhism, it's the idea that the world is suffering and that our attachments to material things are what cause suffering. Now, it's not quite the same. It's going to have a, a different some different particularities, obviously, from the, the Platonist Western tradition and from the Eastern tradition. But nevertheless, it's this, this common theme that maybe the world isn't exactly how we tend to think it is in our everyday experience. So it's funny you say that. I Basically, I, I'm going to say what you said, but in a different way. So I was, I was watching the movie, and we got to the part where Morpheus says, The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep the human race under control and turn them into this. And I thought, like, you can essentially play a game of fill-in-the-blank that can be applied across mm -hmm. the political or religious spectrum. So it can be, our world is a blank dream world built to keep blank under control and turn them into blank. And I think that whether you're on the left, whether you're, whether you're on the right, whether you're a Christian, whether you're something else, this, like, fill-in-the-blank formula, I think, can speak to so many people who believe that you know, whatever, that they're being oppressed by some sort of ideological system or some other system. And I just think that never has there been a movie. Because you think about Easy Rider. Easy Rider was the 70s version of the counterculture film. 
back then cultural unrest meant like checking out of the yeah. oppressive structure mm -hmm. you know it's like fuck mm. this fuck society i'm gonna get on my bike and i'm gonna smoke weed and i'm gonna do psychedelics and i'm just gonna live on the road and stop by hippie communes and have like random sex nowadays we think of the oppressive structure as something that literally has a veil over our eyes that we are plugged into and we have to awaken ourselves and violently fight back on both sides of the spectrum and that's why I find it so amazing and so interesting how people, especially in such our incredibly divided times, that this movie can be an icon for both sides. I, I mean, it just blew my mind when I was watching Wait, it last and night. Do you, do you find that surprising because it seems like only like a left side should be able to do that given a particular kind of politics of resistance? Or do you find it surprising given all of the other kinds of political messages that the Matrix might put forward um, and because it connects this this idea of reality to certain kinds of statements about freedom or about choice or about right um, free will or all of these sorts of things, and that might be why it's harder to turn it into like a, a kind of right um, emblem or something. Yeah, I guess I'm so, just saying. I'm, I'm just saying that it's amazing to me that in a time where things are so starkly divided, that people on each polar side of this division can both turn to this movie and say that this is a a lens through which I understand my beliefs, you know? Yeah. Well, if leftism is essentially sort of politics of resistance, uh, Corey Robin writes about this, that, uh, that conservatism is essentially counter-revolutionary. So it would be like the resistance to the resistance. And there's this endless process of resistance mm -hmm. and then resistance to the resistance and then further resistance to that new resistance and then ad infinitum, right? So in that sense, it kind of makes sense rather than thinking that there is some sort of objective standard bearer that uh, the left has a monopoly on resistance to that then recognizes it as this sort of like contextual flow of of back and forth resistance to whatever the other polarity is. And so in that sense, it makes – I can kind of get it. Like it does seem to make sense. And and this is someone as – you know, I'm coming from the left, whereas when I first found out about this idea of the red pill being monopolized by uh, kind of what I would consider a counter-revolutionary or reactionary tendency, I was kind of like, huh. How does that work? You know, and it took me a little bit to kind of figure out how I could justify it without just sort of like just accepting it at face value. And now I kind of like I fully get it. Mm -hmm. from, well, you from could that even say that the machines are the the counter revel or, or are the uh, the the resistance to the humans that right? Yeah, so exactly. Well, and there are a lot of leftists. There's this movement that's really popular, especially in the UK, based on the heels of this book, actually, the, the one that we're adapting into a movie right now. It was a bestseller. It was called Inventing the Future, and it's about fully automated luxury communism is what they call it, right? And it's this idea that we can use the tools of technology to sort of uh, create new systems of equality and things like that moving forward. But so think about it. If we're harnessing AI like this movie does, and then AI turns around and ends up biting our asses and then becomes our new masters, then yeah, maybe it is a sort of way that you can see that that the revolutionary tendency has now become the new master and then resistance to that would be the sort of counter-revolutionary impetus. But that's what seems so interesting to me and why I said that sort of um, the second and third films are kind of gaining a more special place in my heart these days because as I was, you know, I mean, I must have, I spent an entire summer, like three months going back and forth with Jared about how we were going to do this, what went wrong on Matrix <laughs> Revolutions and, and rehashing it and fighting about it and then rehashing it again and then... Um, I mean, and it kind of came down to this sense that the kind of simple binary that's set up in the first 
right in the in, in the matrix that there's the real world and then there's the not real world and that's pretty simplistic and you're going to wake up into mm. the real world and then or you're going to go to sleep and be in the not real world be in the yeah. matrix mm. and that is totally fucked up in the second and third films yes. and it's not it doesn't right. just become oh here are these like machine overlords it's actually like the machine you know we act, we actually get a little bit of this right when Morpheus is explaining what the matrix is he's like actually I mean we didn't even treat the machines that great so Maybe like he's not giving them a, an excuse for their rebellion, but he's sort of like, yeah, we didn't we didn't really handle that very well. And then it became it was who fired the first shots. We're not sure, but it became clear that there were these two sentient beings and they couldn't get along. And so then kind of shit happened. And so, I mean, all this to say that it seems like this one of the problems with an I mean, I'm I'm coming from the left, though I understand a kind of right taking up if you see certain problems in the world and you think that they're a result of, yeah, like um, as Austin is saying, right, sort of like left rebellion or uh, this left idea of progress, which is actually quite a problem because it takes us away from our values or whatever. I can see how that how you might be able to take something as simple and re- sort of deductive as sort as reductive as the red pill and co-opt it to be something that's meaningful for you. But ultimately, if you get past the first Matrix movie, those distinctions between the real and the fake and what's good and what's bad and who's free and who's not free and the machines is, you know, like bad folks, that all gets complicated in a way that feels like it's a lot harder for it at that point to be taken up by a kind of right wing ideology. So, yeah, yeah. Which, is wh- which is why I think that I, I think that for the we should definitely do the second and third films. And I think that this conversation. So we'll keep it here. Yeah. Like Sorry, really, I don't mean to. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I think that the way that I was kind of and maybe it was because Rebecca that we did that video and we were kind of talking about it that I then kind of came back to this and was looking at it through this lens but Mm -hmm. yeah I I, I think that through the second and third movies that's gonna be super interesting conversation but what I wanted to ask was um, do you guys think that you know is there a chicken and egg thing going on I guess my question is this idea that we can be completely oblivious to the system of control or this system of like thought control or whatever that people are quote liberating themselves for whether you're on the right or the left do you think that the matrix gave birth to the the common thought that oh everything around me could be bullshit you know like do you think that or was it that the matrix just gave voice to that because I kind of question that because The Matrix is such a universal thing that everybody, even if you haven't seen the movie, you understand the concept. You understand that, you know, there was, a, like as Morpheus said, it is a world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Like, I, I just kind of feel like we're all Neos in a sense. And people can kind of like, and because of The Matrix, when, you know, anytime that we have a grievance with culture or grievance of authority, we interpret it within the lens of the matrix. Do you guys think that the matrix had a profound effect or uh, in the way that we think about disillusioning ourselves from authority? I just think it gave it, it gave it the picture for it. You know, I yeah. think, I think people have been going through oppression and going through like the government is against us. Uh, rich people, poor people, that, that whole system has been going on forever since the beginning of the time. But yeah. I think, this movie gave it like the baseball card for it. It was like, hey, this is going on. This <laughs> yeah. is the movie. This is explaining yeah. everything. I don't I don't really have to say anything. Just watch The Matrix and this is my cause. Uh, yeah. But yeah, this shit's been going on forever though. And that's why I'd never thought of it as the essential counterculture movie. But even, I mean, you know, because no one on the conservative right in the 70s gave a shit about Easy Rider, which is why I think this is so amazing how this, is, how, how this has become 
more culturally relevant and uh, yeah on both sides I mean I think you can there's definitely a, a very robust reading of the film that suggests that it probably was intended to be more of a left-wing film I mean and we can get into a little bit more of that later but I just find it so amazing how people on both sides of the spectrum and uh, you know I, I do my best here at Wisecrack to be like as much of a centrist as I can so I mean like I I, I just find it so amazing but I think the I think the the question might be I mean yeah it goes back very far right obviously as Austin pointed out this is this is Plato so uh, you know at least several thousand years but um, but I think maybe another way of framing the question another way of thinking about the question is is kind of reversing the cause and effect so maybe it's the case that because like the 90s were so filled with a kind of rebellion and so filled with a kind of like political ethos they made it possible for something like the Matrix to be as big a hit. Right, as it was. So rather than thinking of the matrix as the thing that kind of generated or became a spokes, you know, person for a particular kind of era, it might actually be the opposite. Now there was a kind of era going on that made it possible for the matrix to become the, a voice at all, or to be so well received, or to be something that then had as much kind of um, gravitas as it did. If you'd released that in the eighties, yeah, like as you're suggesting, right? If you do other movies, they don't have the same kind of you know, affect or, or, or impact on society. So I think we can say something about the culture of the 90s actually making way for and allowing this kind of radical um, film to to be made and to be as popular as it was in the first place. Well, you know, the interesting thing, yeah, like that, back then that. we were all afraid like of Y2K. <laughs> Remember that? Like this yeah. was like the, oh, the yeah, Y2K. Yeah, was Y2K right yeah. before it. Yeah, this was the Y2K paranoia movie. Did we have it? That's right, man. <laughs> Y2K. Yeah, no, I was just thinking that too with cell phones coming everywhere and are we just living a digitized existence and all this shit and, you know, is life, like Greg was saying, are we in a computer simulation ourselves? Mm -hmm. and, and, and even though the film explores themes that have been addressed in religious and political and philosophical circles forever. This is the first time I think that I, that I know, at least at the popular level, unless you're talking about like fucking Terrence McKenna, but like who who outside of like psychedelic circles knew who Terrence McKenna was before Joe Rogan started talking about him, right? Um, but like, but the idea is, is that we're going to, you know, that we're living in this like fantasy world and that we have to break free from it. At the popular level, this film, it gave us a language that yeah. could could latch on to that sentiment exactly. maybe that was that was that made the film um so if the transcendental conditions like rebecca was saying was the the era of the 90s right then the film came around and then once the film came around then we had a language to actually articulate the sentiment that we all sort of felt before even if you isolate the idea of the red pill from its like you know new political meaning just like, you know, even in de like a decade ago, people would say like, oh, come on, Jared, you want to go to this party? Take the red pill, bro. You know, and, and, and like, everyone, yeah, everyone was using it. Yeah. Everyone wants to take the red you know, pill. Funny. You're a bitch if you take the blue pill, right? Yeah. No. You know what? There's actually a movement now online of blue pillars. Have you have you seen this? Oh, God, no. Tell me. It's the Are idea these, like, the flat of earthers? Well, I probably right, <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I, but it, it's it is. It's like no, don't take the red pill. Like, don't buy into this wokeness and just kind of like hunker down mm. into <laughs> kind of common sense or whatever. Um, but there's like a there's actually an online movement that's now that's now kind of. I guess they would view themselves as progressive because the red pilling has become seen as like some sort of cool status quo position. So they're like kind of reacting to that, but they're still, it's, it's yeah, very so now weird. I, now uh, I'm just like losing track of what you mean by red pill. Are you talking about the, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So the, no, think of red pillar in the way that it's understood now. Right. Right. Okay. The, so, the, so the, 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 the political of, thing, kind of like what they're disillusioning you from is from like what they would call like 
PC authoritarianism like culture, like PC culture, basically. Right. So now blue pillars would be like, no, no, like don't don't get woke and don't like try to go down the rabbit hole, whether it's on the left or the right. But just the idea is that don't don't take the red pill, take the blue pill. <laughs> yeah. Stay asleep. Keep those eyes wide yeah. shut. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Don't do anything. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Keep um, working. Is there, has there been a, a Matrix type movie since, though? Except for like, I know like on YouTube there are plenty, but like anything like in the mainstream. You know, I don't think anything. To, to Austin's point, I wish I remember what Austin said that it gave us the language to. What did you say? Oh, I don't know. Sometimes I say <laughs> yeah. shit and I don't so, like, It gave us the language to which to understand. Well, I was yeah, saying, to I vocalize said it, the it gave, transcendental it, it condition it, of yeah, the nineties. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, like it gave us. It gave us the language to articulate a sort of felt sense. I don't. I don't the, think so. I, I don't think the there's ever been a movie that really communicated an idea that really affects people as profoundly as this one that I that I can think of. What what do you guys can you guys think of anything? I mean, you mean no. Yeah, if you mean in this very particular kind of like political sense. Um, well, I mean, but not only in I a political sense so. because for me, you but know, even the, just epistemological. For the first 15 like, years of my yeah. or the first like 20 years of me appreciating this film it was completely an existential sense. It could be an existential sense, a political okay. sense, a sociological okay. sense. Just this idea of like questioning the reality around you. Question everything. Question everything. Well, I think people that, you know, at least in my circle, people that really, really love The Matrix are also like huge conspiracy theory folks. You know, people that really love The Matrix are always <laughs> yeah. like giant trees and like uh, inner earth type shit or, yeah. you know, flat earthers. I love flat earthers, by the way. I've <laughs> never met a group of people so dedicated to a cause. Even, may it be dumb or I just love your dedication. Uh, I just, I think people that are really deep into The Matrix are just open to different beliefs or just, you know, bunking the system or going against it. Yeah, I mean, like, if our reality could be fake, then the Earth could be flat and blah, blah. And it's like, well, once again, The Matrix isn't a documentary. It's not true necessarily. What? Are yeah, you? No, I know. <laughs> but, it, but it is funny, like, if I showed somebody, I, I was when I was watching it, I was thinking, like, if I showed this movie to somebody for the first time who had never seen it, they'd probably look, it's like, oh, it's this idea? Yeah, I mean, that's like 50-50 probably possible. That Like, we live in a simulation, mm. you know? Whereas in the 90s, it was like, everybody knows that's not true. Mm. Hey, real quick, before we get too far into the weeds of thematically and, and philosophically examining this film, can we also just talk about how this film, from a cinematic perspective, yeah. oh, yeah. the, the cinematography, yeah. oh my God, the special yeah. effects, yeah. like, this movie was made in 1999, and the special effects still fucking yeah. hold. Totally, totally. totally. Absolutely. This film was something remarkable. It's like there are some people, um, they, they have these theories about directors, right? That like they've only got like one good film in them or like they've got like two good films in them. And I feel like not that the Wachowskis aren't going to make films that aren't great moving forward. We don't know. They're still young. But it seems like they had so much – and I know they had made films prior to this too, but – Sometimes it's like this perfect confluence of theme, of financiers, of producers, of cast, of of technology at that time and uh, that place in time and space. They all come together, and it seems like it all kind of contracted on this film in a way that was just really spectacular. Also, that hunger, um, like we talked about last week, man. It's like when you know you can't fail. I, good you point. can't fuck this up. This is if we don't good get point. this shit right, it's not going to happen. And they and they made it, man. Yeah. They they. I, yeah, yeah. I'm sure they stayed up. I'm sure they didn't sleep, man. 
man, like 23-hour days, you know, hey, bro, and they're brothers, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. punching each other in the face, like, get this script fucking right, man. They're making, they're letting us direct right. us, you know, that that hunger that they didn't have for Jupiter Ascending, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have that hunger for this one, you know? It's like Conor, Conor McGregor, when he was first in the UFC, he used to joke around about how he would spend all of his money that he would make so that he wouldn't lose that hunger <laughs> to want to have to train to crazy. fight. These days, he can't even spend that nah, much money. Man. How can you spend that much that money? Floyd, nah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I there's one more thing I wanted to say about the, I mean, not even political thing, but, but yeah, let's talk about the, the filmmaking because it's so amazing. I mean, I tell people that this is a movie you can watch with your eyes closed and it's still amazing because there is the sound effects and the score work together to create a very kind of melodic cinematic experience. The sound effects work in concert with the score and the and even just the like I mentioned a little bit earlier the rhythmic voices of uh, especially Hugo Weaving who plays Agent Smith and Lawrence Fishburne it's just so it's musical yeah. like the whole movie yeah I want to know if that was an acting choice or if that was a directing choice because that is so interesting to me, me right like sometimes actors they, they say hey listen I think this is something that I that I've, I've thought of uh, in my script analysis or whatever I, I just feel like this would be the way to talk or he smokes a cigar or whatever it is did Hugo Weaving and Lawrence Fishburne were they kind of directed that way by the Wachowskis is do you think all of it was deliberate or was question. it just a, like mean, a confluence of happenstance doesn't Hugo because, Weaving yeah. just play Hugo Weaving like, no. isn't that he's pretty he's pretty uh, he's got diverse I, talent. Right? I, no, no, no. Mm -hmm. But I mean, like, think about V for Vendetta, right, where he's like uh, literally just a voice and a mask. Well, but but and he like has the similar same directing affectation team. and tone in in that as he does in The Matrix. But you can say and the same thing Lord about Elrond. Lawrence Fishburne. Like once yeah. after after the Matrix, Lawrence Fishburne was kind of typecast as Morpheus. I mean, he, he even still is today, except for what is that blackish? Blackish. Yeah, well, he's yeah. kind of Morpheus yeah. and blackish too. Yo, is he, is just he old, he's like an old granddad Morpheus. Yeah. <laughs> see, whenever I From think of him, I think of Tuskegee Airmen. You ever see that movie? Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the the uh, that, so, so it's film. hard for me when I think of Lawrence Fishburne. I forget that he's Morpheus actually until I see Morpheus. Apocalypse Now too. I saw Tuskegee oh, Airman like yeah. a thousand times. For me, when I was he's young. always young, young Apocalypse Now and, he was and Morpheus. Fifteen. He was fifteen yeah. in Apocalypse yeah, Now. Yeah. Crazy. Oh my God! I didn't even remember that he was in he that lied. until just he's now. He's clean. Yeah, he lied about his age. Oh my God! Yeah. Yeah, this and you know, like more to our discussion, was it two times ago with the Avengers? We talk about the difference between cinema and television and the kind of nuances of these mediums. The way that this movie moves like an opera, it's very, you know, in a sense, mm -hmm. like they're without recitatives, the way that like the 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 melodic speech with the sound design that keeps the everything moving. That's something you don't see in television, and I would point mm -hmm. to this movie as a prime example mm -hmm. of what makes cinema distinct from television, even today, even with things like The Sopranos mm -hmm. and Breaking Bad. Yeah, and, and remember, this movie won the technical awards at the Oscars, which is a huge achievement. I mean, this movie, you know, the idea that in 1999 that the Academy would give any kind of award to a movie starring Keanu Reeves back then <laughs> says a lot. And this one, uh, this one, editing, sound editing, sound design, and special effects, which I think all are so well deserved. One of the things I like the most about this movie, and I and the most about Keanu, is that you know, first of all, another thing that uh, you know people know, but it's uh, it's so amazing that Lawrence Fishburne, Keanu Reeves, and Hugo Weaving learned kung fu for this fucking movie. Uh, that's amazing, yeah. and I love how Keanu Reeves, like the time that he spent in all of his training with Yen Wu Ping, who was the fight choreographer. 
it became a passion in his life. And mm-hmm. even today with John mm-hmm. Wick and the man yeah. of Tai Chi, he's still like one of the leading voices pushing action cinema, mm-hmm. you know, to, I mean, basically action cinema in America that isn't just special effects and like huge spectacle is like Keanu Reeves is like one of the few warriors making sure it still happens and fucking hats off to him for that. So one other thing I wanted to talk about, I don't know if you guys agree or not, but when I say that this is a piece of rebel art, I, and I think a lot of people, and I'm curious if in your angsty teen years, any of you guys experienced this too, we kind of project onto Neo, especially in that first act. If you're different or you see something that other people don't see, you in a sense, in like a metaphorical way, are waiting for Morpheus to call you and to tell you that you're special Mm. and that the society around you is all, quote, phony. Like this is kind of a Holden Caulfield kind of movie for our generation. Um, and then when you consider that the Wachowskis, you know, ended up getting like sex changes later on, like this all kind of makes some sort of sense in a weird way. You know, D- did any of you guys project onto Neo like I did when I was a teen? I, I projected onto the whole the whole uh, scheme of the movie, just the thought of it, uh, you know, being in when he's talking about I know why you sit in front of your computer late at night. Uh, I know why you don't feel like you get along with everybody, why you feel like you're in this fake world. I just, you know, I dug the whole theme of the movie. Yeah. And being awake, you know, when he had when all the things started popping out of his, you know, out of his body, and he's free now. Why, why are my mm. eyes hurting? Because you've never, never used, used them, them before, before. Uh, which is hella mm. Christian. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, and as a dude from the church, it just made me. I don't know, man. It made me question religion. It made me question family. It made me just question my friends. It made me question everything when I was 19. Yeah, yeah. me too. It was yeah. like the exact same thing. Yeah. See, I didn't go through my teenage angst until my 20s. <laughs> um, I was always I was always a little bit of a, like in certain senses, I was a bit of a late starter with certain things. And for me, it was actually, I had a, a religious experience into Christianity while I was high on some drugs because I thought like demons were taking over my soul. What drug? Literally, it, it was. I mean, it was weed, but it was laced with angel dust. Oh um, fuck! Did yeah, you yeah. know? So, so you want to talk about a crazy hallucinogenic experience? Fucking PCP yeah, will do it. That's for the you. rabbit hole right there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, dude. So. So I woke up the next day uh, after I had a, the or whenever it was the, the next the next afternoon after this crazy experience and I was like fuck this I'm going back to church because I felt like I had seen behind the veil yeah. you know like I saw the wizard was the wizard and I was like fuck man if that's the way that the world is then something's got to change and and I and I thought that I had seen this sort of spirit world behind this and so I had that radical conversion into Christianity so for me it was like a retroactive thing where now I watch the matrix and I'm like oh now I get it and then of course now I've had like a conversion sort of to a post christian uh type of thought and and doing work on marks and things like that I think a lot of the idea of I like how Jared said earlier you could like do a Mad Libs and fill in the blank of like the world is run by X and you are oppressed by these people and you are a slave and you're turned into this. I mean, just instead of turning yourselves into a battery like they are in this, just use labor power. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly. How exactly. Capitalism, I actually, I, which is a battery, right? I, I, which is a battery. I filled in the fucking blank for what I thought Austin would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for yeah. real. I mean, you can totally do that, right? Yeah. Um, and and so so I. 
I still now I see this film and I'm like, wow, there's interesting political readings. There's interesting psychological readings, psychoanalytic readings. You could read this through a Lacanian lens that would be really interesting. And you can then, of course, do the Baudrillard reading of postmodernism, that we live in this age of digital images where there are just copies of copies and that the original doesn't really exist. There is no such thing as the real, which, by the way, is where the first film gets it, gets Baudrillard wrong. And the second film, the second film actually gets it right. And it's when Neo is able to control the machines in the quote unquote real world. Because at that point, then even the real world isn't real because it kind of yeah. blurs the line. I mean, I, exactly. I, I, so that's, that's what I, I yeah. So the first, <laughs> yes. yeah, I, I, I hear you, but man, like, uh, just that, that's where I think that the Wachowskis just like, you know, like in a sense, they the the world was on the edge of like this epiphany, and the Wach and the Wachowskis held everyone's hand and like awoke them to this idea. But in terms of like the postmodern, di like di dissolving the line between real and unreal, they were so ahead of their time. Everyone saw the Matrix Reload and was just like, "What the fuck was that?" Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, 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 you're right. And and, and I'm <laughs> yeah, still not confusing. entirely I'm still not entirely convinced that just because they get Baudrillard right in the second one that that makes it a good movie. No, you know what? You're right. It's so weird. I only like that scene at a conceptual level. Like that and I and I only like I'm sorry, I only like that movie, I should say, in that scene at a conceptual level. Like I don't even like the whole other part of the movie. It's just that they finally it's like, okay, cool. Now they've done something interesting. It's not just Plato's allegory of the cave. Now it's actually, okay, what is real? Like in a in a bigger sense. And that's why I kinda like the second so I want to talk a little bit more about the sociological undertones. Uh, so first of all, I think that Rebecca brought this up about uh, subverting female gender roles. I think that once again, Trinity's action sequence in the opening, so awesome. I had uh, I had a high school crush on Carrie Ann Moss oh, yeah. for sure. I mean, me oh, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there are some really interesting parts, like when Neo says he thought Trinity was a guy, uh, when the cop says, "I think we can handle one little girl." And then, mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys have ever thought about this, but that, that final scene where Trinity awakens Neo with a kiss, I always kind of thought of that as kind of like a weird inversion between yeah. Prince Charming and Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of like more of the female empowerment yeah. thing. Mm -hmm. And by the way, uh, have any of you guys seen Bound, the movie they made before that with Gina Gershon and uh, no. and Jennifer Tilly? It's like a, it's like a lesbian thriller, and it's so yeah, good. Yeah, that was it's, really good. It's so good. I didn't know they did it's this. It's probably their second yeah, best movie. I, I didn't know that okay. was them. I mean, I was reading about the movie oh. when I was going over the Matrix stuff, but I was like, right. And uh, Joe Pantoliano in it, is in it. I love him. Uh, he plays Cypher. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Are you a Sopranos fan? Of course. Dude, yeah. yeah. Uh, fucking Ralph Zifaretto. Yeah, so awful. good. Uh, awful man. Awful man. He's so hateable. <laughs> uh, in that character? Yeah, he's terrible. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's awesome. Uh, Bound, that's what it's called. Okay. And then the reason why I said earlier that I think that this movie was probably at least conceived with more of kind of uh, like a, a left cultural or, or like a left rebellious thing is because, you know, our agents are named Smith, Jones, and Brown. They're white guys in suits. Hmm. Reminiscent of kind of old school hegemony. And another part I think is very subtle is like during the standoff between Smith and Morpheus. Morpheus says, "You all look the same to me." And then Morpheus kind of. And then when Mor and, and then when Morpheus loses, the police come in and kind of beat him, and it looks very Rodney King. Yeah. They, they beat his ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, With the the sticks and everything, right? Yeah. And then and then I I'll never forget the like try and put your guys in the the first time you watch this. Like, how did you respond when you saw? The Oracle, you know, they, yes. they're, 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 they're like playing up like the Oracle, this mystical being. And then you walk into a room and you see this like, you know, domestic black woman with cookies. Yeah, uh, I, I think what, what, what I loved about the Oracle is that uh, she she 
that's the first thing she says to uh, to Neil. She's like, "Yeah, not what you thought, huh?" You know, yeah. it's like it's it was beautiful. But I, I I also have to say it, and I mean, she dies. Yeah. That's why they have to replace her, yeah. which also just fucked up everything yeah, for, I know. for I know. you know it was just everything went bad for two and three man. I know, and you know what? Like Aaliyah was was supposed to be in the second and third ones, and she died during the filming. Exactly. Um, yeah. And yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, fucking Gloria fucking Gloria Foster, mind. who plays the Oracle, I haven't heard that name in a long. Is so time. good. That makes oh, me sad. she's awesome. <laughs> yeah, but she's I will awesome. say, and, and she's up there with those same people who have an amazing rhythm of speech. With mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, yeah. right up there. Like her lines are delivered in such an incredible cadence tone everything everything oh you know the guy who plays tank is tommy chong's son really yeah from cheech and chong wow. oh i can God. see that oh now yeah and apparently the reason why he's not in the sequels i mean they wrote it so that oh he died but apparently he's not a very that, good actor n- no i actually thought he was good in the movie the reason is because the reason is because apparently he was a nightmare to work with he uh no the other dude was a nightmare to work with the guy um uh, dozer no, Dozer. Which was the big one? The big one. Yeah, Tank. Tank. It was a nightmare to work with. You're yeah. totally right. He would like steal stuff from the office. He was yeah. constantly fighting with people. He wanted more money. He wanted more money. Yeah. Uh, he played Huey. I'll Newton be honest. In the I Panther, do not uh, think he's a good. He played actor Huey either. Newton. In I think he's the Panther movie. Yeah. Uh, uh, he was. He played who? Huey Newton in the the movie Panther that was released probably maybe two years before the Matrix. Yeah. See, I wonder, like, has he done a lot since? I, I haven't looked at his oh, IMDb, nothing. but I actually think he's a really bad actor, and he's actually oh, my man. weak spot in this whole film. He's, he, you can tell that he's acting. You know, like my one of my old acting coaches used to say that there are certain lines. He, uh, he was a Scottish guy, and he said, "You don't want to squeeze your arsehole." And what he meant by that was like, don't force it, right? Like, don't don't try to force the emotion. You want to be authentic and truthful in the conditions into which you're thrown, right? But this dude, he's like the only thing where I watch it and I get cringy. Oh, wow. It. See, I thought he was good. He's also pretty. You know, you got to watch out for those pretty dudes. Man. <laughs> dudes are too pretty. Yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> but no, yeah, I, I don't know. For some reason, I mean, I, I overlooked it, but I still, even watching it on this viewing, I was like, ah, oh, I get taken out, like, just momentarily. And then I'm like, all right. Yeah, I think he got blacklisted, man. Uh, I think people found out, because that's a huge, like, uh, huge rumor all around like the acting community is that he was such an asshole from uh, the first one that nobody touches him in the second one and I haven't seen him in anything since even uh, yeah. commercials anything. Me, yeah, yeah me neither he's probably in Berlin chilling yeah there's so much stuff to talk about <laughs> like there are literary allusions allusions to Alice in Wonderland The Wizard of Oz in 1984 there's a lot of mirrors mirror imagery there's chessboard imagery with the floor in uh, where, Morpheus, where Neo comes to meet Morpheus we didn't even get to talk about the pill scene Best scene in a cinema ever? Yes, no. <laughs> I think so. It's, it's so good. It's pretty good. I want. <laughs> I want a painting of of just Neo sitting across from Morpheus on my wall, just you know, having the pill. Uh, yeah. It's a good um, scene, though. It is a good scene. Do you want to talk about it real quick, Jared? I feel like you just want to. You want to talk about it. I mean, I basically just think it's amazing, and I have the whole thing memorized, and I don't really have anything else to say. <laughs> um, it's yeah. It's just a very special to me. It's tough to talk about a film like this in an hour because beyond the film just being rich, I think it means so much to so many people. Yeah. And obviously, like literally we could even say that probably like Wisecrack wouldn't exist were it not for The Matrix. Well, right? I mean like, I wouldn't like, have co-created it if it weren't for The Matrix because I wouldn't I wouldn't exactly. be in love with cinema and have an interest in philosophy if it weren't for The Matrix. There's no way. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it, it I mean through historical accident – this film has meant so much to you and I think the rest of us on this 
uh, on this panel and then anyone else listening too. It has created a language for us. It's so tough to try to talk about it an hour. It is literally one of those films that you can write books on, that you can think about, that you can muse about forever. You could talk about it in relation to what did it do in opening up a space in cinema. You know, we talked about and we got a lot of shit from some people about whether or not Avengers, the most recent one, is the death of cinema. Could we say <laughs> that in some ways this – and then a lot of people, they hit us up and they were like, well, what if it just transformed cinema and it wasn't the death of cinema? Regardless, we can d- keep fighting that on the threads on the interwebs <laughs> if you guys want. But uh, but with this film, I think it's almost certain to say that it transformed cinema oh, totally. in, in, in very particular ways. So it's so tough to fucking – talk about it in an hour and five minutes see i feel like it transformed the people who watched it but I, I have a hard time really pinpointing how it transformed cinema like when i think it transformed cinema i think of star wars and like pulp fiction star wars created like you know kind of the special effects action movie blockbuster thing that dominated the 80s and pulp fiction was kind of the start of like uh you know the weinstein era of independent films that actually made money but what did this movie do for movies in general or the movie business I think special effects oh, as maybe. well. I think uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was thinking the special work. effects. I was thinking the special effects. Even in yeah, like yeah. Uh, the shitty uh, parody movies, you know, everybody's doing oh. a Matrix. I mean, it's just it's almost like the flying crane, you know. Exactly. Like, yeah. You see people dodging bullets even today, yeah. like doing yeah. the- on the street. Yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the Matrix. Even if you just say, "Oh man, it's like the Matrix," it just has so many different connotations mm. of what that could mean. Yeah. They never say it's like yeah, Matrix you know, I think it's really no, profound that you don't. said that it didn't change cinema, but it changed our the way that we view cinema. And and whether or not we need to make a, a distinction between the two, there is something interesting about that because that kind of fits into the ethos of, of post-modernity itself, right? It, it's not that it actually changed the objective conditions, but rather it just sort of reoriented ourselves within the conditions which is really quite interesting to think because maybe that's true. Maybe we don't watch cinema. Maybe we don't uh, engage in media in the same way. And this film had, you know, was it like a link in the chain in that process? If anyone is listening, I remember in my high school angsty days, I would go a lot on like fan forums. Like the the two big ones that I was on all the time was matrixfans.net and thelastfreecity.com. Both of <laughs> b- both of which both of which are defunct, but that was my primer ah, on philosophy. Yeah. Because and that was my primer on how to read cinema because I would obsessively every day after school go on those websites and you know, it, and you know the thing about that is that like it was less about fan theories. People weren't concerned necessarily with what's going to happen next. They just wanted to appreciate mm. the film they had in front of them, and like you know, talking about mythology and uh, religion and philosophy. I mean, that's why you know I, I picked up simulacra and simulation in high school. Didn't understand a word of it. I'm still convinced that no one understands a word of it. Um, but you know, read Plato's Allegory of the Cave in high school. Like it was just a huge awakening for me. And and uh, yeah, I mean. I could just go on and on. Yeah, great fucking movie. Great yeah, movie. Great fucking movie. Wachowski's uh, <laughs> y'all are awesome. All right, so we're definitely, one of these days, going to get to The Matrix 2 and 3. Yes. And we will definitely invite Rebecca so she can. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah, guys. This was fun. Uh, thank you guys so much for reliving a religious experience with me. So that's going to wrap it up for today, guys. Uh, I want to thank Greg and Rebecca and Austin for joining me. Uh, where can we find you guys on the internet? Greg. Uh, hey, uh, Greg the Grouch on Twitter, Greg Comedy on Instagram. Austin. Uh, hit me up uh, Twitter, Austin underscore Hayden. Rebecca. Oh, Jesus. I don't have Twitter or anything. Um, Good for you. Me neither. So, I'm so I am totally unplugged. So, yeah. 
You'll find me in the Unplugged. real world, guys. You'll I find me in the real world. That's what Unplugged. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I could just go on just quoting Morpheus and Agent Smith for the next 20 minutes just because I love, I love the rhythm of their voice so much. I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Uh, anyway. All right. That's it for today, guys. Catch y'all next week. Peace. 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 Laters. Peace.